Planning a trip to one of the great national parks? L.L. Bean went to the experts at the National Park Foundation to get the inside scoop on which parks are the best to visit in each season. Whether you're looking for outstanding scenery, smaller crowds, or unique activities, L.L. Bean, be an outsider. To check out the full list of recommendations, visit llbean.com explore. Welcome to The Final Four is Not on the Schedule. I'm your host, Eric, alongside with expert analyst Rod. Thanks for joining us on the best MSU basketball podcast featuring an in-depth recruiting, game matchup, and post-game analysis. We dive deep to give you the best tools to enjoy the Spartans and impress your friends and family. Hey, everybody. It's Eric alongside Rod. We're here for our Maryland preview, where Maryland Terrapins visit the Michigan State Spartans at the Breslin Center on Tuesday. Before we begin, I just want to thank all our donors to the show, the people who you guys have the ones who support this and uh, really keep us going, or give us the opportunity to add extra features and interviews and things like that, all kinds of new content. And so you're the one who makes it easier to justify all the extra work we put in. Because I know uh, Rod's got, I don't know what you have, like four jobs and <laughs> I work full time too. This is definitely a hobby and it's a lot of, but it's a lot of fun, but it, it sort of certainly makes it a lot easier uh, with you guys supporting us so much. So I want to thank those of you on Patreon, those who support us monthly, especially those at the Cleves level, Jason Yeager, Brian O'Donnell, Chad Hickey, and those at the Draymond Green level, Michael Bosnick, Jim L., Dan Rankin, Adam Walzak, Doug Robinson, and James Benton. And all of you who support us on the Scott Skiles level too, you guys are great and amazing. I really appreciate it a ton. Uh, if you want to support the show, there are plenty of opportunities. You can do one-time gifts via PayPal or Venmo, or you can do the monthly uh, through Patreon. You can find that at patreon.com slash tffinotsmsu, or the easier thing is just going to our support page at thefinalfoursontheschedule.com slash support. Another great way to support the show is to support our sponsor, Nudge Printing. Uh, I always, when I take care of patients, I'm always asking them, you know, what they do and sort of how they got into various, various businesses. I find it very fascinating because you meet someone who has a tool and die shop and you wonder how they got into it or like, you know, make zippers or something like, you know, you don't, things that everyday sort of things you don't think about sort of how it gets, you know, to whatever product you're using. And I'm always fascinated. I was talking to Gabe, but like, you know, how did you get going in this printing business? And, and uh, he and his wife both had full-time jobs. He and Brittany, you know, they're MSU alums. And he said, well, you know, they liked t-shirts a lot, but he always liked fatheads and he was looking to buy some fatheads and he couldn't find one, the one he wanted. And so he went to a company with the design. They said, well, we can make 10. So he said, well, I guess I'll buy 10 and then I'll have to sell nine to family and friends. And that, you know, is always the spark, right? That starts, uh, starts you down some path. And so on a, at sort of like a part-time job, they had a, were running printing for quite a while and eventually they decided to take the plunge and go full-time and get their own print shop and hire their own people and start doing their own screen printing. And I guess from there, they've now created a small empire in Portland, Michigan, uh, Nudge Printing. Uh, you can go to nudgeprinting.com. You see all their products, really great screen printing for both shirts and sweatshirts, hoodies, uh, sort of regular Michigan State stuff, and then the vintage stuff that, that uh, Rod and I remember from our youth. Uh, with the Gruff Sparty. Uh, you can get all that stuff, really high quality stuff uh, made here in Michigan by Michigan State alums. Also, they have opportunities to buy all kinds of other things from other schools, I should say, in Michigan 
outside of the University of Michigan. So you can get Northern Michigan, Michigan Tech, uh, Northwood University, Oakland, San, uh, Saginaw Valley State, Wayne State, Western, Central, Eastern, Ferris. I mean, any, pretty much any school in Michigan, again. Uh, and then a, a number of other schools nationally, like Florida Gulf Coast, Texas, I think it's Texas State, Baylor. And so, you know, if you've got another person in your life who would want that sort of gear and swag, you can certainly get it there too. They have decals. I've got a nice, really cool decal I've got on my laptop. So now I don't get it mixed up with my wife's that's sitting around the house. So anyway, check out their stuff at uh, nudgeprinting.com. You can get 20% off as a listener for this show if you enter the code FINAL4 into the coupon code at checkout. Also, you can get a $5 coupon or gift card for Nudge Printing if you take a screenshot of a review you leave for this show on your podcast player of choice. Email it to me at eric at tffinots.com or find some other way of getting it to me. And then I will send you a coupon code so you get an extra $5 off in addition to the 20% off. So great way to support the show. And soon we will have our own gear that you can buy through the show, through the through Nudge Printing. And that is coming up soon. So the final sort of um, programming note I want to make is, you know, in addition to all this new content we're putting out, we are going to have on, we've had a number of coaches on. We've had what, uh, Garland on. We've had Thomas Kelly. We're actually going to have Mike Garland on again in a couple of weeks. He's going to break down the, uh, was it the Iowa game? I think it's the Iowa game, the 25th. Yeah, I think it's the Iowa game. And then also we've, we've had on Garrick Norman, Jeremy Fears, incoming freshman. We're going to have Maddie Sissoko on in just a couple of days. And so make sure you, if you don't subscribe to the show, be sure to subscribe and listen to that interview. It's going to be great. Uh, we'll also premiere that on YouTube. If you like to watch the show, you can watch it. Watch us talking to Madi. That will premiere on Thursday at noon. Uh, so you can go to our, head on over to our YouTube page. You can find that at YouTube slash at T-F-F-I-N-O-T-S or just search out the Final Four. It's not on the schedule. You can certainly get it at YouTube. All right. So let's talk about Maryland. Maryland is 16 and 7, 7 and 5 in the conference. They're riding a four-game winning streak. I think they're undefeated at home this season uh, in the Big Ten. They just obliterated a really miserable team. Minnesota's just, boy, they're having all kinds of problems. They beat them 81-46 to in Minneapolis Saturday night. They've been a kind of a funny team. They sort of were red hot to start the season 8-0, and you started thinking, oh, this is a really good team. They beat Miami. They beat Illinois. And then they went 4-7. and And then they, and so that now they've won four in a row. So they're actually really pretty good ranking in Ken Palm. They're number 23. They're 36 on offense, 23rd on defense. They don't shoot very well from three. They're under 31% from three, putting them at 312th, but they're really good from two. So they're 56. They don't turn the ball over. They're number 60th in turnovers. Pretty good offensive rebounding team at 90, number 98. Get to the line quite a bit at number 86, So, but which is, I guess, low for Maryland historically under Turgeon, but still a little uh, better than average, obviously. They shoot okay when they're there. They're about a little under 74%. Defense are solid, number 31st against three, number 45th against twos. They don't foul a lot, and they do a good job limiting attempts, which we've talked in the past that is generally the key for getting good uh, three defense. They're not a very good defensive rebounding team, however, and so you can there are opportunities there uh, where they're number 208th. Uh, you know, a, a comment about Ken Palm, and we've talked about this in certain respects, and it's actually been a national conversation that 
unlike previous years, there seems to be some real divergence between the analytic systems and I, I don't want to demean it, but I test is usually met in a demeaning fashion, but right. Let's say there's been more of a divorce between what the metric systems are telling us and what the general sense is around how good a team is or isn't. So I'm going to give you an example related to Maryland of where I think the problem is lying with Ken Palm right now. And we'll see if he tweaks it. I don't know that he will, because I think he's pretty convinced of the merits of this approach. But Maryland was number 30 going into yesterday's game overall. They are now number 23. That is after one game (laughs) in which they beat a miserable opponent very badly. So what that's telling me is that margin of victory is a bigger factor than I think has generally been realized. And, and I don't know if um, I haven't done enough of a deep dive, nor have I seen anybody else do it. Although I have seen people suggest this is the problem. Um, I don't know if we're seeing more of that going on where teams are pounding or just really obliterating a few opponents and are getting a lot of benefit from that that either is allowing them to rise higher than reason, general understanding would suggest should be, or like Ohio State's been a classic example of this. Ohio State keeps losing and losing and losing, but they're not falling very much in Ken Palm. And it doesn't make any sense. It has to be that they had some blowout victories and their losses have been close. Um, I would imagine that the defense of this is over time, margin of victory or point differential across the board, all games generally correlates to a team's strength or weakness, relatively speaking. And so I'm not expecting him to revise his system or the net to revise their system based on one year. But when I saw that, and I know this because to do this preview, I had to do it last night. I kept waiting for it to get updated <laughs> and it took a little longer than it normally does on Ken Pop. So Maryland was sitting at 30, 30, 30, 30 without the Minnesota game factored in. And then I see they jumped to 23. I was like, Oh my God, that game shouldn't be worth seven spots. There's no way, but it is yeah. clearly. And that's the thing that changed is that they they beat the shit out of a bad Big Ten team, the only really, truly bad Big Ten team. So make that make sense, you know? Um, anyway, just a comment. Uh, Maryland is, it's funny because I really thought, well, they finally moved on from Turgeon. It'll be a different approach. But they do look somewhat similar to a Turgeon team in that they're still getting to the line decently. It's part of their offense. Um, They're pretty good from two. They're a decent offensive rebounding team. They are a miserable three-point shooting team. So the first thing that tells you, if you're Michigan State, is you've got to turn them into a jump shooting team. That's that's how you're going to have success in stopping them. I think they're they're a bit more consistent across the board defensively, except 
they've got that one Achilles heel, which is, is they a very bad defensive rebounding team. So there could be opportunities for second chances. But in general, they do a good job, as you said, of limiting three-point attempts. And then when you do get them, you don't tend to hit a high percentage. And they're pretty too as well. Those are the you know those are the big things you look for in a solid defensive team, and and their profile suggests they are that. Yeah, going back to a little bit to back to the the Ken Palm, you know, net is the net is which was supposedly the NCA uses in their selection process. Yeah, you know that is largely, and they part of their equation is margin of victory as well. And it's very interesting. I don't, I know, I think. I'm sure the game is done by now, but Michigan was beating up on Ohio State pretty badly. Uh, they were up like 11 they, they won by left. Yeah. So prior to that that outcome, Ohio State was number 27th or something in the net, which is crazy because they've hardly won any game yeah. in the Big Ten. And just to your, three, just to your point. three and nine now. They're three and nine in the Big Ten. They've lost, I think they've lost nine of 10 or eight of nine, something like that. Yeah. It, it's... Uh, it, they're going to have to try and figure that. I mean, I I do understand there is some there is some validity and there's some uh, utility, I guess you'd say, in the margin of victory because certainly if you're winning every game by one point, like you know, like Wisconsin last year, you don't want to overvalue those wins. Although yep. you know it's better than yeah. to lose them, but you know, you at some point you've got you've got you can't overvalue them too. I mean, you know, it's almost better like a, a metric for gambling than it is actually for for maybe selecting teams that are worthy of making it to the NCAA tournament. Well, I think some would tell you that there shouldn't be much of a difference between those two things. I mean, there there is there is a difference between a predictive metric, which is what gambling is supposed to be doing, and right. a a relative assessment of strength, I guess. But I could also see the argument of saying, well, there really isn't or shouldn't be much of a difference between the two. Um, but this year is a test. I believe wholeheartedly, I have no difficulty believing that as a general proposition, margin of victory is a pretty decent correlate for quote unquote strength or weakness. I I can believe that. And you cited a really good example. Last year's Wisconsin team kept getting by by the skin of their teeth. And you knew from watching them, hey, this is not a powerhouse team. But if you looked at the one and lost record, you would you would think they were better than they actually were. And then I think postseason sort of is the ultimate confirmation of this. And it confirmed that, no, they were not a powerhouse. Um, <laughs> but, but this year is providing a real test because it's not just Ohio state. It's not just Maryland. There are a lot of these weird results that don't seem to make a lot of sense. But, but when I could see one certain thing, you know, in a largely meaningless game, in my view, one that, uh, and I certainly am not suggesting Maryland should have been penalized for it, but I don't know how much of a bump my assessment of what Maryland is as a team didn't move at all based on what they did to Minnesota. Sure, like nothing. Yeah. It didn't change at all. And I would think most people who, who have watched them understand them, understand the Big Ten, understand college basketball this year would come to the same conclusion that, no, that's okay, you won. And, oh, and the other thing is I believe it was on the road, which probably boosted it even further Sure, that they yeah. did that at Minnesota. But, again, it doesn't change much for me. 
And I don't think it should change much for how their team is viewed. But according to Ken Palm, that was worth a seven spot jump. That, that's that just doesn't that doesn't track with reality. Yeah, right. But maybe some of the teams above it fell. I don't know. I don't think I don't think so. I don't think seven is a just just for those who don't follow this closely. Jumping up seven spots is a big move. That is a big sure. move. You don't typically see that even when you get a good result. Like if Michigan State had beaten Purdue uh, at Breslin, where they almost had it, I wouldn't have expected a seven spot jump. I might have expected four, three or sevens a lot. And it just I, so I tend to think the now that I'm now that I'm reconsidering it, it wasn't even just the margin of victory. It was that they did it on the road. And I'm guessing yeah. what that tells us is that this black box of how Ken Palm values these things, which he doesn't disclose really probably the net as well in a similar fashion, really values those things. And I think at least for this year, it's not leading us to outcomes that seem to track as closely to the way most people would perceive it as we normally find. I normally don't have a world of disagreement with it. You know, I mean, you're fighting yeah. math, but it <laughs> is really laying bare. I think some of these things that maybe should be rethought or tweaked. Cause it's like at Ohio state is the, is the opposite, as you said, where they they keep losing and they're not falling. Yeah. That makes right. no sense. Well, and I, I, I think at some level too, I mean, I know the net is supposed to be, once you get a certain margin of victory, it doesn't matter, right? Like once you win by say they 10 or 12 it, points, yes. they cap it, right? Maybe Ken Palm doesn't do that as much. And so you may have more dramatic swings. Like if you win by Possible. 50, it's worth more than winning by 15, which, you know, again, you could argue that matters. Do we know what Maryland's jump was in the net? I didn't look at it. You know, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know I, what I'd it be was. curious. That'd be interesting. To, that'd be interesting the to see what it is. Pump jump was dramatic for that game. It was just dramatic. Yeah, maybe there's some sort of multiplier if you're on the road. Or yeah, well, yeah. I mean, it's it's his own proprietary algorithm, right? So, yeah, um, yeah. Well, so getting back to sort of Maryland and the team, uh, you know, this is a team that I think you know most people when you look at them, you're not you're not afraid of them. But they do manage to win, and they're and they're certainly really tough at home. So they're they're kind of like the Maryland team from a few years ago, where I don't. I mean, I don't know. I'm not quite sure what to make of them. We didn't really think they were going to be that great this year. So they're definitely as as of right now, they're much better than we had thought they were going to be. You know, the fact that we can say they're just miles better better than Minnesota. You know, I mean, so I don't know. It's a weird. It's a weird deal because my my perception of Maryland has swan wildly um <laughs> early on i was very impressed because you're right we figured transitional year you know the the they had no real recruiting class to speak of they added a few transfers including their two starting guards and I thought, okay those guys look decent but decent's not enough and it didn't look like they were going to be very deep and that part has borne out to be true they're not um but you add all that up and to me, it seemed like, well, they're, they're a team you don't rule out of NCAA tournament bid contention, but they would be on the lower end of that gigantic middle of the pack. And then they got off to the start they did. They beat Miami of Florida, who's a decent team, top 40 team. 
Uh, they beat Illinois mm-hmm. and were eight. No, you're like, okay. You know, maybe they are, and they were playing very, very well. And then they hit the skids. They go four and seven over the next 11 games and their deep shooting fell off a cliff. You know, offensively, they were just kind of a mess during that period. They really struggled to score and just felt like to me, it just felt like, all right, they're, they're falling back to earth, reverting to the mean. And they look like a lower end middle of the pack, big 10 team that is going to be right on the bubble line. And now they've won four in a row. And despite my going on about only beating Minnesota, they've obviously beaten other teams too. They beat Indiana during that, this run. So they, they played better again. Um, I still don't know fully what to make of them. Um, there are some things that I defensively, I think they've been pretty consistent offensively. It's when, when they, when they are forced into shooting jumpers, it's ugly. I mean, they are a bad shooting team, even their good players, you know, even their point guard, Jameer Young has been a really good player. He can't shoot. So if you can turn them, if you keep them away from the basket, out of the lane, off the free throw line, they struggle to score. But when they can do those other things, they get by, you know? So it's, yeah, it's a decent team, a solid team, but I still don't know if I'm convinced as to what the real Maryland is. And I don't know that I'm going to have a real feeling on that until we get to the end, because, you know, they're on a run right now, but look, if you tell me they lose four out of their next five, that's not going to shock me either. And I haven't even looked at their schedule. It just, it's the <laughs> nature of the big 10. And it's the nature of this team in particular. I just feel like there's not enough offensive consistency to allow them to say, well, they've arrived at a certain elevated level and that's where they're going to stay. I'm not ready to buy that yet. Yeah. I mean, if you look at the big 10, what a, what a mess. I mean, how many teams, almost the entire league is between seven and five and five and and seven. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's crazy. Pretty crazy. I mean, we should say some game behind Maryland and they're going to be soon two games. Is it two games back from Michigan? And I, but I don't think no, either of those teams are probably back. better. Michigan's, Michigan's seven and five. They'll be seven and five. Okay. So it'll be what game back Michigan as well. I mean, everybody's going to be seven and five. Purdue, of course, yeah. lost. And just to, you know, interestingly, you know, Zach Eady scored 33 points and 18 rebounds against the great uh, Trace Jackson Davis. So maybe he wouldn't have been the difference in <laughs> preventing Michigan State from stopping Eady. Maybe Eady's really good, Rod. I'm not sure. That maybe. Yeah. You can't. <laughs> Yeah, it's um it's just that that's that's the thing. I mean, the the thing that that we missed on in our preseason preview was that one team would elevate above everybody else and that it would be Purdue. Uh, we didn't call that. But everything else, I feel we we nailed that there just isn't much difference and it's hard to distinguish between these teams because they they get on it's everybody's ebbing and flowing constantly in different directions at different points in the season. So right now, Maryland's been on a roll. Michigan state's been struggling. Uh, that yeah. tells you nothing about what's going to happen on Tuesday night. No. Yeah. Cause you look at the teams, Michigan state's been playing and where they've been playing. And so uh, it's that it's that, and it's, you can, you can turn you you could start doing some things better than you had been doing. We see a lot of that. 
you know, if, if Maryland, I haven't looked at, I haven't looked at the numbers over this four game win streak, but if they've been shooting the three better, well, that would be an area that's improved. You know, these things can happen for short periods of time, but, but this is why what we said at the season's outset, and I think has been borne out is so important. Most of the teams in the big 10 have certain strengths. There aren't many teams that are coming in and you just say, boy, they just don't do anything well, but everybody has significant flaws. Everybody, uh, you know, Purdue being the kind of exception, but I would say even with them, their deep shooting is far from a strength, you know? So, um, that's what happens when, when you have teams that have significant flaws is you're going to find it tough to find a level of consistency. Not to be hyperbolic or alarm bells. This is a game that Michigan State needs to, they need to get right and they need to win this game because. I would you know, agree I with that. You, I would agree I think, with you know, that. bubble talk. Yeah. I think, you know, I think we both think that this team is better than their record suggests, but I guess in some ways you are your record too. So uh, this is a team that can go on a little bit of run, but I think we're due for one. We just kind of, this feels like that February, just kind of getting things ramped up. But, you know, the the Rutgers game was there, right? I don't know. They are not on the bubble right now. But you start losing home games, you get there. You know? Right. They, I would agree with you. I'm, nothing's um, – if they lose this game, it doesn't mean that they're not going to the tournament. But you start putting yourself under a lot more pressure. You need to take care of the games that are at Breslin – you need to you need to win the winnable games. If Michigan State, here's what I will say: If Michigan State wins all four of their remaining home games, and they only win one road game, let's say they only win the game at Nebraska, they lose at Ohio State, they lose at Michigan, they lose uh, at Iowa. If they go five and three the rest of the way, they're in no problem. They'd be eleven yeah. and nine. They're in no problem. But you got to win the home games. You start losing sure. home games, then you're putting pressure on yourself. Now, I don't think five and three should be the goal. I, every one of these remaining games is winnable. And, and should be a game Michigan State should feel like they can go and win. But will they do it? Well, we, as we're going to talk about, there's some things that have got to get better in a hurry. And no better time to start it than Tuesday night. Yeah, some home cooking may be exactly what they need. And so... Um... Yeah, well, I guess let's go through the starters in Maryland and to kind of get things going here. Uh, we'll start with Jameer Young, 6'1", grad transfer from Charlotte. Uh, he's been really, really good. He's averaging 16 points a game on 43, 30, or sorry, 29, and 83 shooting, so not a great outside shooter. Pulls down five rebounds a game, leads the team with 71 assists, but he does have 52 turnovers, averages almost five free throws a game. Uh, and I was watching uh, The Journey, actually, last, the big that Big Ten show, and they had him, they High, featured him and he actually played five minutes from Maryland uh, at De, I think Damatha Catholic school yep. with, with yep. Hunter Dickinson was his teammate. So that's right. Uh, but anyway, he's a, he's been a very good addition to the team this season. Yeah. And, and he's the first Damatha kid Maryland's had in, I forget how long, a long time. Um, that is significant because Maryland for a long time, struggled to get kids from the DMV, meaning the DC, Maryland, Virginia area, which is if those of you who know, 
and follow this stuff is a talent rich area of the country. And the feeling has long been that Maryland did not take advantage at all of its proximity to Washington, D.C. in particular, that they historically, and I mean going back to Lefty Drizel, that they historically struggled <laughs> to get kids out of D.C. They generally did okay in Baltimore, but not in D.C. Um, and so it's been a long time since they've had a DeMatha kid, and DeMatha has been a powerhouse high school basketball program for 60 years. I mean, going back to the early 60s, if I remember correctly, I think I've got this right. Um, I think they were the only school to beat Lou Alcindor, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, when he was at Power Memorial in, in New York City. I think DeMatha is the only school to beat him when he was in high school. Um, so it goes back that far, you know, to the early to mid-60s. They had a, they had a guy, Morgan Wooten, W-O-O-T-E-N, who was their coach for a long time considered by a lot of people to be the best high school coach in history. So a lot of history and tradition in that program and Maryland has not done a good job of recruiting it. So Jameer Young is a guy they didn't recruit when he was in high school. They got a second chance with him transferring back and um, they needed him and he's made the most of it. Maryland's really been kind of a drift at point guard that they're, their situation has sort of mirrored Michigan State's. Anthony Cowan was the same class as um, Cassius Winston. And he wasn't as good as Cassius Winston, but he was a very good player. And since he left, you know, the, the two years previous, it's been kind of an adventure. If you remember, they had Eric Ayala. That didn't really work. Then they brought in, um, I'm drawing a blank in his name, the transfer from Rhode Island, um, who was uh, – kind of uh, erratic. Um, they haven't been able to solve it. Young is not a perfect point guard, but he's been very important for them primarily because he's given them scoring punch and he struggles shooting the jumper. But fortunately for them, that's not all he does. He's been pretty effective at getting to the line. Fats Russell. That's who I was thinking of from last year oh, okay, from Rhode yeah. Island. <laughs> anyway, um, uh, Young's been effective in that way gets to the line, shoots a good percentage there. You know, he's a playmaker. He also makes a lot of mistakes, so that's not great. But, you know, beggars aren't going to be choosers. He's definitely been much more of a positive than a negative. I think the key with him, you got to do your best, keep him out of the lane, make him take jump shots. Yeah, and probably contest those too, make him difficult. So don't let him get going because even bad shooters can become good shooters if you make sure. learn. So next would be Don Carey, 6'5 grad transfer from Georgetown. Uh, boy, you hear, it's so funny. You used to hear someone from Georgetown, you thought they were pretty good. Now you're just assuming they were terrible. So Carey's averaging 7.1 points a game on 34, 31, and 91 shooting. Uh, he hasn't done as much offensively, but good defender. Yeah, you know, I think they're a little disappointed with what he's given them offensively. But um, again, they just, they had nobody left, so they had to go get someone to fill these roles and, and they'll take it. And he's been a steady defender. You know, he's a veteran, got a lot of experience. So on balance, decent addition, but I, I would think they could hope for a little more offensive punch. Next would be Hakeem Hart, 6'8", senior, averaging 11.1 points a game on 49, 30, and 83 shooting, pulling down four and a half rebounds a game. And, uh, you know, it's 
not again, like most of the team struggles behind the arc. So that it's not helped him in that sense. You know, what's, what's really weird about him. And it, it makes me wonder if, um, I've started losing, you know, maybe early onset dementia, Alzheimer's, because (laughs) when I watch him shoot the jumper this year, his shot release is terrible. It's a push from really from the middle of his chest. It's the kind of thing that you typically see, say, junior high basketball players where they don't have quite enough strength to really shoot properly with their wrists. It's got to, it's got to come more from the arms and it's a deeper, you have to have a a deeper push to get the ball elevated. That's what his Mm -hmm. jumper looks like. And I don't remember him shooting the ball that way in the past. Perhaps he has, and I've just completely forgotten about it, but regardless, it isn't working. And that was always supposed to be the big (laughs) deal about him is always a guy with length who can shoot. Well, 30% from three isn't getting it done. Now, now again, he's scoring in double digits, so he's finding ways to put points on the board. But I, I just think they thought he'd be more than that as a senior, you know, given what his purported strengths were. Yeah. Uh, next would be Dante Scott, 6'7", senior. He's been He's been really good most every time he's played Michigan State. He's averaging 12.3 points a game and 6.2 rebounds and shooting 40, 30, and 76. He's an interesting player because I really liked him at different points in his career. And the primary reason I liked him is that there were, there were times over the previous couple of years where he actually played the five for them, and he still does in certain lineups. Mm-hmm. But when he's really got it going – meaning he's got his jumper dialed in. He is a huge mismatch problem. Huge. Because he can pass, he can take you off the dribble, and at different times in his career, he could shoot. I'm pretty, I didn't look it up, but I'm pretty sure he had a year he was a plus 40% three-point shooter. Well, that's in the rearview mirror. This year has been, it's kind of mirrored Maryland's season overall. He said he'd lost a lot of weight, So he looks really good. He's in good condition. And at times this year, I thought he was looking outstanding, like the best I've ever seen him play. And then at other times, he's kind of disappeared and gotten back into some of the inconsistency that plagued him last year. So he's a good player, no doubt about that. But he's one of these guys that I find myself looking at him and saying, man, he should be doing more because this guy's got a lot of skills and he's, and yet he's got some measurables that when combined with his skill set, should make him a very difficult player to match up with. And I feel like he's just coming a little up a little bit short of what he could be. Finally, Julian Reese, six ten sophomore averaging 10.6 points a game and six and a half rebounds a game shooting 66% from the floor but a dreadful 51% from the line. Yeah, the the foul line is a problem, um, but otherwise, I think he's on track. I was really impressed with him last year as a freshman. I thought he showed a lot of potential, and to me, he's reminiscent of a lot of these guys that they've had in recent years, like Bruno Fernando, Stick Smith, these long guys that are good athletes, um, the, the difference between him and some of those other guys is he doesn't yet have 
his game developed much at all away from the basket. He hasn't taken a three yet this year. I think if he can add a little bit of a threat away from the rim, he'll be really dangerous. But still, he's made strides. There's no doubt about that. Um, been a good rebounder, decent interior defender, and he could score around the rim efficiently. So good player, but I think there's even more uh, ceiling for him to reach. Well, then move on to the reserves. Ian Martinez, 6'3", junior, transferred from Utah, averaging a little under six points a game on 44, 40, and 76 shooting. So he can actually hit something from outside, unlike most of the team. Yeah, just not high volume, but when he takes threes, he's been effective. Um, and they need that production anywhere than they can get it. He really <laughs> struggled shooting the ball last year, which was his, his first season after transferring over from Utah. So I'm sure they're happy to see him find a little more of an equilibrium offensively. Next would be Jahari Long, 6'5", transfer from Seton Hall, averaging two and a half, or two, sorry, 2.9 points a game in 12 minutes on 44, 48, and 56 shooting. Same deal, but even more so. He followed Willard from Seton Hall. So he's obviously mm -hmm. a guy Kevin Willard likes. Um, and he's been very productive as a shooter, but that's in extremely low volume. Well, well it has to be, right? I mean, 48, yeah. Yeah, averaging less than three a game. It's interesting that you that you shoot 48% from three and 56 from the line, <laughs> but probably the low volume in both. It usually goes the other way, right? Free throw shooting shows yeah. up before three-point shooting, but um, which, which maybe leads you to perhaps distrust the three percentage a little bit, especially on low volume. Um, but yeah, he's been a help. He understands what, uh, what his coach wants. Cause he's played under him more than, a, you know, longer than anybody else has on the roster. And again, you know, pretty decent defensively, but they don't ask these guys to play a ton of minutes. I mean, really Martinez is the one perimeter guy who plays much. Next would be Patrick Emelian, six, seven transfer grad transfer. Who's played at St. Francis at Western Michigan. And now he's at his third stint. Uh, he's a primary post backup. He's averaging a little under three points a game and 3.3 rebounds a game in 17 minutes, shooting 50% uh, zero, so over four from three, and 70% from the line. Yeah, they, they needed someone. And they got him in the portal, <laughs> and he's been a godsend in the sense that he's actually been playable. He doesn't produce a whole hell of a lot, but it just needed somebody in case of foul trouble, fortunately, Maryland doesn't commit a lot of fouls, but in case of foul trouble and just to give guys a blow, he's emerged. So he's been good enough. Yeah. And then finally, Noah Bachelor, 6'6", freshman wing, averaging 1.9 points a game and 1.4 rebounds a game in nine minutes, shooting 28, 26, and 58. Yeah, they were very happy to get him late. I, I mentioned they didn't have much of a recruiting class. Bachelor was really it. Um, Willard has since turned it up, by the way, he's got a pretty good class already signed free. So, um, that will be changing, but it was just the timing of him getting the job that, uh, made it tough, but they hoped bachelor could help. And he's helped a little bit, but he's, as judging by those numbers, you easily able to translate as a shooter early on. And that that's what thought he could actually do. Not all that unusual. It happens to guys, and you know, perhaps he'll be a jump next. But um, for the, for his first season, it's been a struggle shooting the ball for her. Well, the thing that jumps out on you, and just looking at their lineup, they are small in the sense that Julie Reese is six ten. They don't have anyone to back him up. Who's you know, I guess they got Hardy six eight, but Dante Scott six seven, Patrick Emilian six seven. So, you know, when Reese is not in the game, 
you know, if you had some post presence, that may be a place to get some work done. Yeah, the, the but but the thing is, they're actually they're not a great shot blocking team, but they're okay in terms of rim protection, and they've been pretty good defending the two. I think where their size has shown up as a negative has actually been on their defensive boards. They've really been pounded yeah. on other teams have pounded the offensive glass against them. Um, it hasn't shown up as much defensively, uh, but you're right. There's, this is a smaller team, you know, and unlike some other teams that um, like Nebraska, for example, that don't have much interior size, but they've got some size on the perimeter, which sort of makes up for it. Maryland doesn't really have that. I mean, Yon is a smaller player. Um, Carey's got decent size hearts tall, but it's not like they're, they're big, you know, well, we don't have any six, 10 or up guys, but everybody's six, six and above. It's not that kind of deal. So yeah, they do, they do get small Scott, even though he's only six, seven, he's always played bigger than that. So that helps a little bit, but honestly, beyond Scott, if, if it were to be a situation where Scott and Reese were both in trouble which has not happened to them much at all this year, then you got an issue if you're Maryland. Why don't we go to the five keys of the game after a brief message? There's no I in team, but there is one in Indeed, and that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash sports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash sports. That's Indeed.com slash sports. And support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash sports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Okay, our five keys to the game brought to you by Nudge Printing. You can find it at nudgeprinting.com. So number one, threes. We saw this and we felt it intensely against Rutgers. Michigan State needs threes to be productive and needs it for the scoring on offense. Generally, we shoot much better at home, so hopefully that works its way out and they can they can get some of those jumpers that are open that they've had the last couple of games. They just have not been dropping. Road games, um, and, and that's... Uh... That's always that's always part of the deal. You don't expect to shoot well at West Lafayette. I've seen it happen many times. Um, Madison Square Garden, you know, whatever. Sometimes it happens. Um, they got to get back on track, though. It's it's critical for Michigan State offensively. And I would also say at the other end, you really can't afford Maryland to hit a hot streak. They're a bad shooting team, and you need to keep them there. And maybe just as importantly. Yeah. You want to force them into having to take a lot of them more than they want to. So it's both ways. Michigan State has to have a decisive edge from three. Yeah, you want to at least yeah force them to take bad threes, right? That's the key. Where yeah. That's and shot clock running down. and get, get off, Find a way to get off a decent amount of attempts on offense and hit a decent amount. 
don't need 45% as a team, but it's got to be, I would say, if Michigan is anything below a moderate volume, say mid to high teens, and at least in the mid 30s in terms of a percentage, that's probably not good enough. So number two key of the game, A.J. Hogard. He has not been playing really great uh, recently. Uh, maybe looked like he was getting turning around a little bit against Purdue, uh, but then just unable to really run the offense, which is so critical for Tom Izzo offense, especially recently. And to sort of throw uh, you know, uh, gas in the fire there, his backup Holloman has, has been hit the, the freshman wall as well. And so you can't even go to his backup and hope to get any consistency there either. Yeah. The, you know, I, I somebody was talking about how, you know, MSU can't sit Hogarth the way they did in, in segments of the, of the Rutgers game. And my response to that was, yeah, um, they had, I, I, I hear you. There's no better option. But you also can't play AJ the minutes that they've been playing him if he's playing the way that he is. So I don't know what else you yeah. do. You you have to do something to get through to him. You know, Izzo in his post game seemed to suggest that he feels AJ is getting tired, and he went further than that. I think in suggesting that he has let his conditioning lapse. And that because of that, he's not able to play the kind of minutes they were playing him earlier that Izzo may have to think about trying to dial his minutes back a little bit. And Hogard was asked about it and insisted, no, that's not true. So uh, if you want to read into that, that there's some message sending going on, feel free. I would not disagree with you. Um, all I know is this. J. Hogard that has played for Michigan State for the past couple of weeks, not nearly what they need. It's yeah. that simple. He was not good against Rucker. And he has been mostly not good for about two weeks or so running over the course of four or five games now. That that can't happen the rest of the way. He is so important to this team unlocking its potential um, as an all-around player, but especially as the guy at the, who's the fulcrum of the offense, he is the hub around which everything else flows, you know? And yesterday he was making bad reads, bad decisions, and was not putting enough pressure on the defense. Well, consequently, Michigan state struggles offensively, you know, it's as simple as that. So whatever it's going to take, to get him back to being the guy he was earlier in the season, that's what needs to happen. And if it doesn't, Michigan's going to continue to struggle. It's that simple. It's so funny because three weeks ago, he was looking so good. And you're like, wow, if he just gets a little bit better, this team is going to go. You can right. see all sorts of things happen. And then it's just kind of like hitting a wall and kind of going backwards. I don't know. He's not their best player. I mean, I'm not certain who is. I would probably lean toward Tyson Walker at this point. I think Tyson Walker's been their most consistent presence at both ends. Um, mm -hmm. And Jay Nakins is the guy with the highest ceiling still. Um, and if somebody wanted to throw Joey Hauser's name into the ring, I wouldn't argue with that either. But AJ Hogard's always been their most important guy. That's yeah. never been up for debate in my mind. And it's been laid bare the last few weeks 
how important he is when he is not playing well, is not doing the things they need him to do. You see it very clearly. So something's got to give. Well, the number three key to the game is defending without fouling. Not exactly the same team as they were under Turgeon, but they have a little bit of the same uh, trend where they like to get to the line quite a bit to get some scoring done. You can't put this team on the line a bunch. Now, you hope that at home you'd have a chance of holding that down a little bit, but we, we've seen that theory shot to sh- on occasion this year. <laughs> so um, they got to somehow, they can't let Maryland live on the line because, again, if you keep this team off the foul line, they're going to have trouble scoring enough. I mean, they just will. I do not count on them hitting a bunch of threes. They, they, you know, Scott and Reese can score a little bit in the post, but this isn't, this isn't a, a, a team where you would expect them to just wear you out. There's no Zach ED TJD here. Um, if you keep them off the foul line, you're going to have a pretty good job, a pretty good chance of holding them into a range to be able to take, take the game. You should be able to beat them. So number four, key to the game, the boards. Maryland is decent on the offensive glass, pretty terrible defensively. Michigan state has been very good defensively and eh, I'd say, okay, especially of late, they've been a little bit better, especially when we call it back on the offense. So, you know, maybe you could get some work done. Yeah, they've been bad over the course of the season offensively. There's no, there's no arguing with that. It's clear. Yeah, but they have been better lately. Um, to do to, to do the job they did against Rutgers, for example, on the offensive boards was pretty impressive. Um, it's strength against strength and weakness against weakness. And so, <laughs> if either team can get an advantage, like if MSU can hold Maryland down on their offensive glass, but, but do some work on Michigan state's offensive end. That could be a big, big edge. And finally, number five transition, which I guess sort of goes back to AJ a little bit, but you know, can Michigan state get some stuff going? They got a little bit of stuff going against Rutgers, you know, a few times that yeah. offense looked okay, especially the end of that first half, you know, can you get a little bit more of that and maybe get some, some easy buckets and get things going early? It's important for reasons. First is an obvious one. If you can steal some easy baskets, then you're not going against what's a pretty good half court defense, you know, but the second thing is probably even bigger. Maryland is a team with a short bench. You know, we, we talk about Michigan state's relative lack of depth to most seasons, but in comparison, Michigan state is a much deeper team than Maryland is. So the more energy you can, you can take out of them, you can deplete or tank of gas the better off you're going to be at winning time you know and that's where like for example in the Rutgers game that didn't happen Michigan State ran pretty well early not enough to really have it show up late you know it would be nice to see that happen in this game you know one of the staples of the Michigan State transition game is the the five you know the rim running right down you yep. know, down the middle haven't seen that much this year. I, Mati Sissoko seems like the kind of guy who could do that. And, uh, but yeah. we haven't seen much of that. Do you think it's, is it him not releasing in time? Is he, or is he, cause he's the one getting the rebound. And so he's passing. I, I'm just trying to figure out why that's not happening because it seems like that'd be the one way to get him going. And I think it's getting all him an ability things. to score. It's only been there sporadically, but you're right. They haven't gotten enough, not nearly enough, but, but then how insistent has Michigan state been in terms of looking to push pace, you know, um, 
I think you're right in that they're not getting enough help at times from other guys on the boards to allow Mahdi in particular to be free to run rim to rim, you know? Um, yeah. But yeah, it would be something that would be nice to see show up more often. Uh, so Michigan State is a one-point favorite per Ken Palm, which means that on a neutral court, uh, Maryland would be favored. You know, I, I guess this is a game that, again, we Michigan State needs this. They need to get going again. They need to they need to start feeling good about themselves before they head on the road. And, you know, they've got very winnable games coming up, but you got to start winning in some of these games yeah. that I think you, you need to you need to win, right? And this would be a great yep. play time to start against a quality team. I mean, Maryland's, they're no slouch. And like about every team you face, you, they're going to beat you if you don't play well. You've got to start finding some level of confidence, too, before it starts really slipping away. You know, you keep losing games. It's it's easy to spiral. I mean, look, I saw, you know, going back to Hogard, the body language, the demonstrative, you know, motions toward teammates, not good. That tends to spiral. So high time for a win. And it would be even better if it was an impressive one. Just a quick programming note uh, we do have an ask me anything coming up because you guys are so awesome we want to do an ask me anything so send your questions along you can give them to me at eric at tffinots.com and i guess we should talk about free throws briefly rod so those of you who have been listening for a while know that i was selected to shoot for free throws free throws to for an opportunity to win a trip for two to the final four i won my first round hitting four of (laughs) ten you get 30 seconds to hit as many as you can so not a really great performance. If you've seen it online, I was grazing the rim. Uh, it was pretty embarrassing. I've been practicing quite a bit, so hopefully I'll be better. I shoot I shoot uh, Tuesday night at halftime. So I don't know. But we'll, I'll tell you what happens then. If you're at the game, you can you know just try not to uh, – don't jeer too much as I'm out there. But I'll, I'll do my best and then hope then that if I win, then I go to the finals, which is an Ohio State game on the 4th of March. And then I don't know, it's going to, we have to figure out what to do as a family because that's right during spring break. But obviously, best of luck in carrying uh, the final four is not on the schedule banner. Um, and uh, yeah, <laughs> for the best. I'll, t- like I said, I'll keep you everyone updated. It is going to be a brutal, this is, you know, this is the grueling thing about the, this, this recording schedule that is tough because, you know, I'm at the game. It's a nine o'clock tip, which means I'm home getting back to Grand Rapids eh, a little after midnight. We'll record our show. We'll have to post it, edit. I got to go to work the next day. So, I mean, I'll be able to do all of those things. I'm used to doing stuff like that. And But that's what we do for you because we love you guys so much. And, and all <laughs> the more reason to hope for a victory, both on Michigan State's part and on your part, to make that all a little easier. Because <laughs> it's, it's tougher when it's coming off losses, right? It'll make the drive home a lot better. <laughs> It is absolutely so. Uh, un- so I guess until next time, the final four is on the schedule. Go green. At Granger, we're for the ones who pay attention to every little detail. The ones who fuss, tinker, and sweat the small stuff. Because you know the tiniest thing can make the biggest difference when it comes to keeping business moving. We get it. We're the same way. Offering access to product experts to help you quickly and easily find what you need. So whatever your industry, you know you're always getting professional-grade products. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.